Hello and welcome to The Talkies, a weekly film podcast with me, Michael Henry. And me, Lucy Smith. This week we'll be discussing directing. So this one was a harder one for me because, Mike, you are actually a director and spend a lot of time thinking about directing. Whereas I realised that I don't actually sort of pay attention to it. It sounds a really strange question, but can you actually describe to me what a director is responsible for and how you can see their mark on the film? Because that's what I was finding hard this week. Yeah, definitely. First of all, I don't think people can teach directing. I think anyone who claims they can is probably a liar. Directing is basically staging. So the position of the camera and people and things in relation to that. So lens choices, the proximity of people from one another and how high and low they are in the frame if you want to give someone a more dominant perspective in the frame. That's basically what directing is. But in terms of noticing someone's style, it's that's that's where you can't teach it. Because I would say, like of my favourite directors, there's David Lynch, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, Stanley Kubrick, Federico Fellini, Coen Brothers, Lynn Ramsey, Charlie Chaplin. I'd probably say those names and you might have very specific images from their films. But when you're watching them, you probably aren't necessarily picking apart the bits that make them uniquely that directors. Yeah, I feel like I can see very clearly if it's a bad director because I'm like, someone's made all these choices and it's a bad Choices choices Um, is the key word because on on a bigger film you'll have hundreds of people going, is this the right shade of blue for the sofa? Is this this the colour hair you imagine? But at the level, at the independent level that I'm working at, it's more you make all these decisions to begin with and you just message people who you you can rely on and you you don't necessarily you don't have as much resources or choices really but it's interesting you say about yeah choices and bad directors that i have been a bad director i'm not saying i'm the best ever now i'm just saying that i have been a bad director and i think bad direction is where you c- you don't feel like there's been any intention behind the camera choice or the style of comedy or the style of expression and and acting. Right. So a director should almost assert themselves as one of the artists as well. You shouldn't just I mean, I think it's good if they blend into the background in that you don't you don't always in every film have to go what an angle or what a shot like you can just yeah, watch the it's, story. It's but... a fine line. I I kind of like that. Um mm. it's it's a I don't know. There's there's times where you shouldn't be noticing I don't know. There's there's different schools of thought on this whether you should be smoothing out all the edges and making sure the edits don't jar people and then there's the other side which is no you should be reminding people they're watching a film and your style should should do that and you know like David Lynch his style is quite over the top even even some of the acting is kind of phony on purpose but it's a stage that's that's what I'm thinking because with David Lynch he usually writes as well right so when you're a writer and director I feel like that's what I thought we were talking about this week so when I think about it, the one I chose was one of the first that I noticed a sort of style of a film which I could pinpoint to a director. Whereas yeah. when I was growing up, it would only honestly be either Tim Burton or Tarantino. I could look at a film and go, that's them, without yeah. knowing who did it. And I think they're the kind of people who perhaps do the more um, pay attention to me kind of filmmaking, which is hmm. um, it's more about them rather than how good the actual work is. I know a lot of people might hate that, but that, I, those a lot are a lot about stylizing and like I don't notice the camera angles in stuff like Tarantino and all the Tim Burton films. I just notice that they've made 
these choices to make it weird gothic or overly violent and crude like I can't see yeah and that's where I'd say that I think intentions are very I think intentions one of the most important things that I liked Tarantino a lot when I was a teenager but the older I get the more I want from a film what I, what I really want from a film is how it can make me think and feel whereas his films don't do a lot for me so he's not doing enough subtlety there's no soul to like there isn't enough soul to them I don't get a sense of heart to mm. it it's it's mostly look how smart I am and how many films I've watched or look how like with Tim Burton look how kooky and weird I can be and um, th- there is sometimes emotional elements to Tim Burton films but that's not what it leads with whereas for all the weirdness in a Kubrick or a Lynch film there's an amazing sense of character and and heart especially Lynch I can't think of a more sincere director yeah. in working in a weird environment really so maybe it's through our choices today that I can sort of like gather together what does make good directing do you want to go ahead with your pick first yeah so uh, my pick for this week is there will be blood and I did have a very hard time trying to decide because for me I think I needed to pick something that illustrated what in my mind perfect direction is I could have picked no country for old men as well because that also came out at the same time and is also a film I would give to people and say, look, if you pick this apart, it's flawless. It shows you what to do and what not to do. And particularly with There Will Be Blood, it just wins out because it does more. Um, it reaches further. It, it takes more risks. They've even done there's, there's studies online of they track an audience's eye um, so they can see pinpoints on the screen where everyone's looking. And there's certain scenes in There Will Be Blood where everyone's eyes directed to the same thing and it's all intentional. And that's the level of directing that I can't really get my head around. That's someone who is a master where they go, this person starts here and we know they're going to look there. But now we know the important thing is here. And he's a director also. Know it inside out. Yeah. And it's something that I continue to study to try and figure out. It's too easy to, to cut from one person to another when they're talking. But Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't. He rarely does that unless it's really necessary. So he'll only cut when he needs to. So there's a lot of long takes. But you, you care more about a person the longer you're holding on that image. It's it, You can't empathise with someone if there's a cut every two or three seconds. And that's why for me... That's weirdly given me an epiphany moment, like it directing his storytelling. That might sound really obvious, but... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like in a... If you're writing a story, you choose where our brains go because you focus in on what you want to focus in on, but... If you've got a camera held there, how do you get, how do you get people to focus? Yeah, there is different. There's something I noticed, especially getting older, when you start to explore something that isn't just what you've been handed as a kid. Like so, films that are a bit more out there. There are a lot of directors who will hold on a wide shot and allow the viewer to decide where they look. You know, you can be the hyper manipulative Hollywood style of close up, low angle, look, making this person look dominant, but then you're not really trying anything artistically you're not really trying to do anything new and there's certain tools that you should if it works like why try and reinvent the wheel like no country for all men doesn't reinvent the wheel in terms of camera placement and all this kind of thing but it's not about that i guess something i want to ask you is when did you when did you notice that someone was behind these decisions because i had a similar thing that you kind of you watch in a passive most people watch films in a passive way which is why most people watch entertainment rather than anything challenging. I would say I watch passively, but I look for other things too. I look for 
more meaning than entertaining. And I, I do, I really find myself paying attention to colours in films and acting. And writing, if it's really good, will stand out. If it's really bad, will stand out too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't know. So my pick, which is In Fabric, which is Peter Strickland, right? Yeah. I, I think I just, I just noticed that there was a vision behind it. But that's not the same as directing. Not quite, is it? No, it is. I definitely, and I, th- I think I want to point out you've picked someone that most rec- of most recent memory is one of the few people who... So he started out in 2009 with a feature film at the same level I'm working at, where it's under £30,000. It's shot in like 20 days. And within a decade, he's built this cult following. He makes exactly what he wants, which is the thing that I admire. And that kind of gives me hope, too, that there are people who are making these relatively small films like Duke of Burgundy is not a big big film but I think that's an amazing film I think it's one of the best films I've seen over the past 10 years or it's so it's incredible I think that the thing with Duke of Burgundy and in fabric is that it just feels like you're in a completely like someone else's world and it's so perfectly crafted I just feel very looked after when I look like it can make me uncomfortable and there's some horrible stuff in the films but I just feel like I never feel at unease, like, oh, there's something, some bad acting coming up, or, oh, that line could have been better. I just feel completely like they know what they're doing. They've got it. That's Well, that's what I look for. The one, obviously, the, the more you study something, especially you probably get this with writers too, that if you can see the strings, it's, it's all a magic trick. Like, when you watch something, for me anyway, if I watch something, I'm going to be analysing why it's good as well as enjoying it. But occasionally, and, and there will be blood as a film that did this. Every now and then, you watch something and go, "How did you wait? How did you do that?" <laughs> and it's not even anything big. They're still using uh, lengths of takes, cuts, angles, actors. Mm. But it's done in a way that is uniquely them. But also, they'll take a, a mind. They'll, I mean, in there will be blood. There's a bit where it jumps forward maybe thirty years, and that jump. I remember being in the cinema and going, "Whoa! Wait, what?" And it sounds really simple, but it it was a, it didn't seem like it made sense story wise. But now it, I can't imagine it without that cut. Right. There's a per, there's a perfect there's a fracture in his family life at that point. He can't get any greedier at that point. He his career that he's been building and building and building in a very greedy way has kind of reached its peak. And from this point on, he's made his money. He's kind of reached his goal. And then you you need an epilogue of. Well, what happens if you become one of the richest people at the time and you get what you want, but you're alone and you haven't really got anything else and you don't have family? Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense talking about this, why directors are the main thing where, like, you know, actors will be drawn to them as I want to work with you. Yeah, in There Will Be Blood getting, like, Daniel Day-Lewis and Paul Dano and stuff, like, they they made the film and they were absolutely amazing. And you can just see... Maybe it's the director that ensures the whole project will well, go. Definitely. I mean, there's there's loads of people who are very outspoken, like, I really need to work with this person. He's someone who, if you look at all the actors he's worked with, he's worked with the best American talent. He's he's worked with... So Philip Seymour Hoffman was, like, his go-to guy for years and years. They were even really close friends. And they were... That's Philip Seymour Hoffman's best performances. He worked with Joaquin Phoenix a couple of times best performances he's worked with Tom Cruise he's worked with Mm. Julianne Moore he's worked with everyone who's great basically within a a, a 20-30 year period 
And the reason they're great is because he he allows them to do what they do. He says he doesn't understand how actors do what they do. And I kind of appreciate that. Yeah, that... can you can we go back to your pick then and sort of like why like are there certain moments in it where you just watched it and thought, Yes, this is what directing should be and or was it a lot of I don't know how he's done that but I love it? Like I watched it when I was nineteen, I think. And I already like Magnolia is my favorite film, and, and he's my one of my favorite filmmakers. And it was very personal, Magnolia in particular. That I'm not, I know we're not talking about that film, but that was when I realized you can make a different type of film. You can make something that's incredibly personal, and you can experiment, and it can be great. It, it doesn't have to be a weird little experimental art house underground thing. It can be big, and it can say something about life, and it can reflect your life, but also do really unique things. Um, the first time I watched There Will Be Blood, I was just shocked. I didn't know, I was speechless. I left with the two friends. I was like, I don't know if I could talk about this film just yet because it just hit me like a brick and I and I couldn't figure out how he'd done it. Obviously, I've watched it. I did my thesis at uni about it and I've watched it. I watch it once or twice a year just to remember how you can stage a scene. You don't have to do it with wide shot, mid shot, mid shot, cut, 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 cut you can find more interesting ways to do these things. I, I wouldn't say that my work has... There's limitations when you have lower budgets, so I can't necessarily pull off the things I want to do. So I do sometimes have to resort to the basics. But in terms of re-evaluating re what he does, like I say, camera placement and only cutting when you need to, I feel like there's bits where you'll be holding on a conversation with two or three people and when it cuts, you really feel it and you know that something's happened in the conversation. It's not cutting for the sake of it, it's Daniel Day-Lewis... Adds to the story. Yeah, well, it, it's purposeful, whereas a lot of camera placement and editing these days isn't. It's kind of, oh, I should be cutting now. As if you're capturing someone's life rather than shaping it. No, I just mean it. it's through, it's default, it's through routine, you just go, and I do it, I've done it too, that I have to remind myself, like, why are you cutting now? You don't need to see what the other person's saying, you only cut when you're revealing something. It's a visual medium, you should be doing that. It's a lot of the directing done in the edit as well then. Definitely. I, As I've got a bit older, I've tried to get my ideas of when I want to cut in the script even. But yeah, you, you make a lot of decisions in, in post where you go, yeah, we didn't get that. I need to cut around this. You know, even, No matter how good an actor is, they'll deliver something that's not as good. And my job in, sometimes is to cut out their bad bits so they look their best. I want everyone I work with, I want them to, for it to look like it's the best work they've ever done. Because obviously it, it works for me too, that it becomes a better film. And, you know, I give uh, people I collaborate with some ownership. You know, I say, well, how do you want it to look? How do you want to play this? You know, if we're, we're completely disagreeing, it obviously comes down to, no, that's too far off what I had in mind. But I'm open to the ideas. The recent script I've written, the actors I have in mind for the leads, I've been saying to them from the first draft, if you have any ideas of how you want to carry this character and you, you know, if you feel like I'm showing them too raw or too nice or too anything, let me know. I love that idea that a film is um, a collaboration. And like, yeah, you always need a leader in a project for it to be a good project. I have to say, I still, I still watch things and don't pay attention to camera and choice of cuts but and I things like I don't that. Think necessarily, yeah. I don't think necessarily most people should and I think I, I'm kind of I'm in a weird place where I've kind of cornered myself into only being able to appreciate certain types of film 
So the majority of stuff that you see on Netflix or any streaming platform or is is playing a multiplex cinema, I know I'm not going to like it, so I don't end up watching most of them because I know they're going to be cutting every second or more and they're going to follow the same protagonist has an obstacle, this, 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 this. They're not going to offer me anything new and once you know how it works, it's like reading a novel and knowing, well, it's going to have a happy ending. Like, a resolution is what you should expect, but you shouldn't have to expect a happy ending every time you read or watch something. It's kind of absurd. I used to love watching westerns when I was a kid, and I've, I've always had this thing of, I'll, I'll constantly re-watch something that I know is great, even if I don't know why. And before I'd go to school, like, I went through a phase of just loving spaghetti westerns, and... I would get up earlier and sit and watch like the ending of Once Upon a Time in the West or The Good and Man the Ugly and try and figure out why they were so good because I couldn't understand it. And even rewatching them now, I get chills because it's like, it's something to aspire to. It's something that creates awe. And I still, I can pick it apart and know why it's good, but some filmmakers like Kubrick, they still have this enigmatic quality to what they made that you can't quite put your finger on why it's the greatest thing. You just know it is, and I think that's something that I'd aspire to. I haven't reached it yet, but particularly with Anadonia, I feel like I got a little bit closer. Through re-watching stuff, I've realised what I'm doing wrong, and it's a way to improve. I'll rewatch my own films. It's probably not healthy, but I'll rewatch them and write notes like, it's weak here, that angle's not as good as this bit, and I'll make notes to, to make sure I don't do that again next time. And it's definitely something, I would say when I first started making uh, films, they're going to be bad when you start, but then once you get to like your adult life, they should be getting good. Unfortunately, a lot of people like to be seen as a director. Very few people want to put in the hours to learn and improve and actually be good at the craft. Mm -hmm. And I definitely, for my first two or three feature films, it was more about, look, I've made it, I've made something, and kind of expecting some reward from that, whereas... You know, I wanted them to be good, but I couldn't figure out why they weren't, and I couldn't figure out why people didn't like them. So I was kind of blinded to the audience expectation, I guess, in a way, at that point. Unless it was a comedy, like, I, I did go through a phase of, particularly at uni and, and just afterwards, we did a lot of sketches. We won awards for um, a collection of comedy sketches and some short films and stuff, and I realised, as much as I like doing comedy, it's not what I want to do and to be, and it's kind of it's not a challenge. I find to make someone laugh is quite easy and to, t to entertain can be quite easy. To make something that's profound and really well crafted is extremely hard and I don't know if I've even managed that yet, to be honest, but I'm still trying to aspire to something other than a quick laugh and a few fancy cuts to make people think, oh, that was cool. But yeah, so Peter Strickland and In Fabric. Yeah, I guess I haven't really introduced what In Fabric is. No. And I, I've also assumed that people know what There Will Be Blood is. I really enjoyed I, I have a crush on Daniel Day-Lewis anyway. <laughs> um, it's in his eyes. It's beautiful. That makes sense. But yeah, I mean, adding to this thing where directing is like obviously more your thing this week. Like I noticed amazing soundtrack. I was completely engaged throughout, which is definitely to do with the directing. I just noticed the acting was so good and the story. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. But yeah, and again don't have much to say about directing, which is why I'm asking you most of it this week. But yeah, within Fabric, sort of a horror comedy. I, as I usually do, went to the cinema alone to watch this one and loved it. And it was basically about a cursed dress that kills the wearer. 
I noticed the colours. There's red and green everywhere. It's very dreamlike, spooky. Yeah, all of his films do have You that loved movie. it too, didn't you? Yeah. I, I didn't enjoy it as much as Duke of Burgundy. There were some things I had issue with. Yeah. But, I, I mean, that's because Duke of Burgundy is his best film. Like, it's pretty much flawless. But I think, that, well, I think on a more personal note, you are probably more drawn to this because of the costume angle. It's about costume and fabric and that sort of... It's very creepy and it's very, like, uncanny in places. And it makes you feel uncomfortable. Have you have you seen um, you've seen Duke of Burgundy as well, right? Yeah. Can you see recurring themes between his work? Because I think that's something that, you know, we talk about. How do you know when you're watching a director? Well, I know I'm watching. Yeah. Well, as I said before, like they both of them left me with this feeling of I'm completely in his world and I feel safe in it. Yeah. There's just there's a, both of them sort of capture humanity in the midst of like ridiculousness i'd say yeah definitely there's a lot of disturbing stuff there's a lot of focus on i think there's a light lot of, and colors it, it definitely definitely with his past couple of films there's more an emphasis on kind of fetish as well that i mean definitely with duke of burgundy which is essentially a a lesbian love story where they're role playing and there's bdsm involved but in fabric too there's kind of a, there's a fetish element to the mannequins, to the costumes, to the clothes. Obviously, the clothes itself, Definitely. but, you know, kind yeah, of... Yeah, he's really... The whole thing is sort of... Well, both of his films seem to sort of... Yeah, there's this sort of like heavy atmosphere, and a lot of it is to do with sexuality. Yeah, I think just the way... The reason I picked this one for directors is it's the way he makes his films. It makes me think differently about the world. And I think that means good director in my book. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. Like, the way he's asking us to view things. Um, if that can make you think differently as opposed to just, oh, I went to see a story and that was cool. Yeah, then which I think is the problem something. is that most people... Like, I want to be scarred by a film. I want a film to be lingering in my mind, even if I didn't necessarily like it that much. Like, I've, I've mentioned before that a lot of films that I love now, I hated the first time I watched them. I hated Mulholland Drive the first time I watched it. Yeah, you, you do say that. I I never have that feeling. If I hate something when I first watch it, I think I'm always gonna. Yeah, but, I, but I'm also open-minded to go back and, and re-watch something on a long enough timeline too that, like I, you know, I was a bit too young. I was 12 when I watched Mulholland Drive, so I wasn't going to understand anything that I could understand. Oh yeah, you've got to re-watch the stuff that you tried to watch that was adult when you were a kid. But also, sure. I mean, there'll be directors that I like now and there'll be there'll be times where I'll watch something and go, Oh wow, I love I love that film. So this one should be good. And I'll watch it and go. That was terrible. Um, I had a similar thing with Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice, which I was disappointed the first time I watched it. And uh, the more I revisit it, the more I think it's great. And people have joked it's called Inherent twice because you can't understand it the first time you watch it. I feel like there should be a clause for people if they criticize something, they should have to watch it more than once. You watch it once, maybe watch it a month later, and then you can have an opinion because. Your immediate reaction is is it's kind of uninformed as to what the whole thing is going to be. I mean, I think even you would have exceptions to that. Like you go see a blockbuster, and you think it's shit. I don't think you're going to watch it. Again. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's people I know that aren't good directors, like Michael Bay, who makes Transformers. But it depends on your mood too. That there's been times where, like, I'll happily, I'll happily, if I'm ill, I'll, I'll lie horizontal and watch a Marvel film. Because I don't want to think. The, my problem is that generally that's how everyone approaches films is, well, I'm going to watch this big blockbuster because I don't want to think. 
And if that's all you do when you watch a film, you're comatose throughout your life. You're not thinking. And yeah, at least with film. Yeah, I think you're right. A lot of people do approach that. But I think I'm... I don't think it's a bad thing not to... I use film as, like, my therapy and my way to think about stuff. I don't oh, think... Same. I mean, people <laughs> I listening do. to this podcast aren't going to be people who don't do that, probably. Like, unless they, they want to get more into film, it's sort of like... But some people do see it as magazines, um, which yeah. is fair enough. No, They're just and, not you know, engaging. And we're going to do an episode on um, entertainment at some point as well. And there are merits to entertainment. It's just, if that's all you are hoping to get out of a film then there's loads of films that you're not going to appreciate. I would say, in my opinion, the best films ever made aren't ones that are just entertainment. Um, And I'm not saying that anything that's art house is better. The people, if I go go back through my list, the people I love most, say Coen Brothers, for instance, they fuse art and entertainment perfectly. Their films are, they're they're, they're witty. Is that because of their directing or their... Well, they project overseeing well. decisions that's what i'm trying to I, make sense I, of, I think. i'd say that they're kind of the same thing it's okay it's, but what if you're a director who hasn't written it well yeah okay so a good example would be martin scorsese so david lynch paul thomas anderson kubrick most of the like Coen brothers most of the directors i like and then ramsey too they wrote the script and then directed whereas martin scorsese i don't think he's written anything on his own since I want to say Mean Streets, which was like one of his, his breakout film. So that's a good example of a director. Like no one would argue that guy is not a good director. He's one of the best of all time. He's probably still, you know, the greatest. He's like the maestro. He's the master. But when I watch his films, I know I'm watching him because of recurring themes, um, recurring style, their obsessions, the way they frame things. Um, I'm not really answering the question there, but but for me anyway, so Scorsese is a good example too of, I'm entertained when I'm watching a Scorsese film, maybe not all of them, but probably like 95%, you're entertained, but there's something being said, and that's what bothers me about um, some filmmakers like, say, Tarantino. We can definitely talk about entertainment in the entertainment episode, yeah. though. Let's not get ahead no, of no, ourselves. No, 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 I'm just saying, you know, there's worth to it, but I think if you're going to make something, you're going to direct something... Do it with intention. Don't just go, that's cool. Or I've seen it before, I'm going to do it like that. You need to try and make this your own. Like, try and do it differently, basically. What? Yeah, what aspect of your directing do you feel is most sort of like you'd like to explore more? Or I think, well, yeah, well, with my own work, I'm trying to take more risks is something that I've been trying to do over the past, like, three years or so, especially with Anadonia. It's more rewarding when you take a risk as well, I think, especially if it pays off. I'm not saying all of it pays off, but I think I played things a bit too safe for the majority of my 20s. I was kind of churning them out and learning through doing it, but there weren't that many big, big risks taken. So yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to step away from being influenced, I guess is probably the best way to, to say it, that you know, I think you watch... Can we talk about what you're like when you're directing? Because around the time I first met you, you were directing Anadonia, and you wore a cowboy hat all the time. Well, okay, well... <laughs> Talk about that. I, well, I didn't wear it all the time. I wore it when I was playing a character, because I, I, I had a small role. Nah, you slept in it, you showered in <laughs> you it. You can't sleep in a cowboy hat. <laughs> no, like, okay, well, I mean, for that, I had a cameo in the film, so I kind of was wearing it. There's no point, like, taking it off and on throughout the day, I just keep it on. 
But that was only one. That was only yeah. one day. Oh, I thought it was a. There was, was one day. I thought it was a sort of a powerful feeling. Um, no, I felt weird doing it. To be honest, I felt really self-aware and insecure oh, okay. wearing it because it's such a stupid hat. Um, but that's the point. In the film, it's intentionally over the top and and kind of silly. But in real life, it just felt weird wearing a cowboy hat. Um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't like a power player oh, okay. or anything. And and also when you guys, uh, so you you came to the uh, shoot when we needed some extras uh, in a pub scene. Yeah. Um, I thought that's what you're gonna say. It was like, well, you're kind of a different person to to sort of day to day life. That I suppose that's what yeah. I am saying. The cowboy hat is a metaphor. <laughs> um, yeah, I've heard a few people say that, but it's it's not that it's not me. It's just in my in my opinion it's my best self it's the thing obviously it's the thing I, I, I long for most is to work on the production and to get these things made and I've had it before where I've you know been in the, the start of a relationship and they're like that's you know if someone sees you then they're going to see the best version of you they're not going to see the version of me that's like awake for 50 hours like editing and like not sleeping and just hating what I'm doing and being angry because being in production that's yeah. the happiest I am. That's why I love doing it so much is I'm I'm never happier. It makes sense as well to ha- have this character that everyone trusts in. I feel That's I feel weird I feel weird you to you, trust in the I feel director. weird you saying character though because I don't I am it's Sorry, I know what okay. you mean but but I'm not Rephrase. I'm not like method directing or like pretending to be someone else. It's it's the best. That's version. not what I think of. Sorry, I think of it as in like I would use character in the same way when I talk about a teacher standing. Okay, up in front yeah, of yeah, the class. of course, yeah. There's, there'll be there'll be times. Um, yeah. Like I'm not against saying I don't know the answer to something. I'm not against being honest and going, oh, oh I I don't actually know that. Let me let me find out this. That's part of the trust, though. Yeah, yeah, but in terms of turning up, yeah, like I'm I'm confident that I can be a good leader when I need to be. Am I that in everyday life? No, there'll be times I go to the shop and I'm just like, I just don't want to talk to anyone right now. And I feel a bit like sad or, or anxious during during this visit to the shop. I'm not going to turn up and be like, right, let's do this. But <laughs> I do I do feel the happiest and most um, put together when I am in a situation where I can corral people. And, and it's not like a power thing. It's definitely something that I feel like I'm adding something to other people's lives, especially because I, I teach film as well that my favorite thing to do is see someone realize they can do something and you've helped them do it. Or if they're in a bad place, getting them out of a bad place and making them feel um, productive or useful because I've been there myself. I've been, I've been in places where I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? I think it's a really good thing that it's, it's a really, like it shows that this is something that you're good at and should be doing. If you feel this confidence in your directing role, I think that says it all. And I and I wouldn't say I've always had that. I would say it it takes it takes a long time and a lot of self criticism and learning to take feedback to yeah get to a point where you're comfortable and well, learning to take pre- feedback is the height of security. I would say like as opposed to insecurity. Yeah, it's still hard. Um, oh yeah, you, you you have a knee jerk reaction, but I'm definitely like I'm open to more feedback especially at early stage. So the way I used to work was I'd write the script, do several drafts, and then that's what we're making. Whereas now I'm sending second drafts to people like yourself. Um, I'm sending it to people who are going to be part of the crew and the cast. And I'm trying to get feedback as soon as possible. Because if everyone starts going, why are they doing that? Then that's what an audience is going to think. Or if everyone goes, ah, that character's a bit too 2D villain, they're not this. 
I know I have a problem. Um, and there'll, there'll be blind spots where I'm like, I think I think this is good. And then once someone questions it, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I need to need to work on that. So I'm, I've become a lot more open to collaboration rather than when you start out, you're a dictator. And Francis Ford Coppola, who directed uh, The Godfather and Apocalypse Now, said it's one of the last true dictatorial roles that you could possibly have in the world, which is obviously, there's an allure to that, obviously, but you have to learn to work with the people and add something to other people's lives. I would say some of my earlier films, it was more about me. And it's not that you shouldn't make a personal film. It was more about like gratifying my need to feel like I was doing something and making something and being useful and being seen as a director. Whereas now it's for me, it's more about how proud I can be of the thing I've made. I don't care how many people see it. I obviously want people to see it, but it's more important to me now to be able to live with the thing I've made for a long period of time and hope that it affects people's lives no matter how many people see it. And I have, like, it, it means a lot more now yeah. that if... Like, we've had a lot more people watch Anadonia than there are other films that, you know, we've had at least 30,000 people watch it based on the, the viewing figures I've seen that aren't piracy because the film got pirated as well. So quite a lot of people have seen this, but the people who have reached out and said... I love this and this really affected me and I'm still thinking about it. Having 10 people see that say that means more to me than a review that's like, three, three out of five, this is a really good film, you should watch it, but it's not the greatest thing ever. It's more about impacting people's lives on an individual basis, I think. Thank you for listening to The Talkies. This week's episode was directing. Let us know what you think, we'd love to hear from you, and remember to tune in for next week's episode.